Hey everyone, welcome to the Communication Coach Podcast, where I'm going to help you to create successful change through powerful and honest conversations. I am your host, Nikki Perfect. Hey everybody, I hope you're well, whatever you're doing, and having a good week. So it's Monday, the... 21st of May and this is episode 24 how to overcome objections and I've been thinking about this recently about how we put barriers up for ourselves and how other people put barriers up and we can generally work out what those barriers are going to be it's like a predictive dialogue if you have worked in a business for example a sales person you will know that when you go to sell to people there will be objections And most of the time, and I've discussed this in other podcasts, but most of the time the objections will centre around money, time, what will other people think of me, the fear of the unknown, the fear of what's my other half going to say when I come back with this brand new sports car. And we can kind of work out on a regular basis what people are going to say to us. I know, for example, when I was running my training courses around communication and negotiation training, that often the objection would be, well, that's kind of how I've always done it. I didn't realise that that was the wrong thing to do. And there is no wrong thing to do, by the way. It's just the habits that we get into. And until we become self-aware, we don't break the habits. And um, people saying, well, that's not true or why would I invest my time in this, or what am I actually going to get from this, how is this going to improve my relationship, all about me, 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 <laughs> because that's what we are, we're, we are all about me, and if you kn- if you can work out what the objections for people are going to be, then you can, it's almost like looking into the future and predicting uh, how people are going to object to you you can overcome those objections before they have even had a chance to say them so for example and I'm going to use Meg in my life here because with kids you know that at bedtime generally we're going to get some objection unless she's super tired and then she just disappears or if we want to eat a whole family bar of dairy milk chocolate just before we go to bed or five marshmallows then we know when we say no, there's going to be an objection to that. Or we know when we talk about homework, there might be an objection to that because something is more interesting on the TV. So we can predict what our kids say to a certain degree. And as they get older, I've certainly noticed over the last few months that the questions Meg is asking me, and to be fair, the logical argument she's giving to me, it's really quite difficult to um, go, hmm, actually you're probably right there and because kids have that very basic logic without the emotion involved and we also know that when you say because I've told you so because I'm the parent because I'm the police officer because I'm the head teacher because I'm the boss you immediately lose any respect and also any sort of compliance once you say that because people will do it but they'll do it with a grudge and they don't won't do it properly and you, they might as well not do it. So it's an art of overcoming objections. So, for example, I know a really good personal trainer who's very, who's who's young and looks young, and so one of the objections he gets is, "Why would I come and personally train with you when you look so young? How could you possibly have anything in common with me?" 
So he gets rid of that in his opening sentences. So he'll say something along the lines of, you know, I look really young, but I've done this, this and this. I've been on these training courses. I've worked with so-and-so. So-and-so's mentoring me. I've had success with these clients, that clients. And so he's overcome that objection before it even starts. With Meg at bedtime, we have to overcome the objection before it even starts around quarter to nine. So, And we know we're going to get resistance when people don't want to do a specific thing. So we think about how would I feel if I was in that person's position? What would I be looking for? If I was negotiating in certain parts of London, I turn up as a white, middle-aged, middle-class woman. And people will look at me and go, well, how on earth are you ever going to understand me? So I get rid of that in my opening gambit and say, perhaps you're looking at me and thinking, how on earth will you have anything in common with me? Because you don't look like you're from the same background. So we overcome it. And when we overcome that, people are like, well, if you know that, then it looks like you're trying to understand me and what I might be going through in my predicament. If we have somebody that we're selling something to, we know that probably if it's a car, there's going to be a pushback on the price, quite possibly. There are some people that walk straight in and buy a car off the forecourt at the agreed price, but... But the majority of the time, people will haggle, will try and change the price. So we overcome the objection before it happens and we sell the benefit. And this is what salespeople do all the time. They sell you the benefit. If you look at adverts, people will sell you a benefit. And most people, what most people want is to be in control and to have the freedom of choice. And if something saves us time, it gives us a freedom of choice because it means that we can use our time to do something that we enjoy. So I was watching a an advert the other day for lawnmowers and they weren't selling a lawnmower that cuts your grass and how brilliantly it cuts the grass. They were selling you time, that you will cut your grass in half the time, which now gives you time to do the things that you want to do with your family. Does that make sense to you? So it's about the time. It's about that freedom. It's about having choice. You know, I've spoken before when you give people choice, like Meg, are you going to do your homework before or after you've watched that program? So there's no choice in doing the homework but they feel that they're in control and having that choice. So when you're overcoming people's objections, think about how they feel to be in control. It's like when we talk about nutrition, when we talk about healthy lifestyle, none of us want to be told what we can and can't eat. You know, if I want to eat chocolate, then I will eat it. I remember coaching somebody and we were talking about um, food consumption and alcohol consumption. And the goal was to lose weight and to get fit. And they'd started training. They were doing really well with their training program. They didn't understand why they were losing weight. And I was coaching them and I was listening to what they were saying. And they were talking about their very stressful life and how it comes to the weekend. And their habit at the weekend is to go out and have a bottle of wine or uh, 10 pints of beer. Whatever it might be for you or for your client or your customer that you're talking to. And there will be habits, entrenched habits. And I've talked a lot about values and beliefs. So if you believe that on a Friday night you should go out or you are entitled to drink two bottles of wine or ten lagers, then that is an honest held belief. And if I say to you, quite outright, uh, that is never going to help you lose weight. Now, there is a time and place for honesty. And you know I'm all about honest conversations. But if I say it there and then... I take them away from what they're talking about, which is actually the the right, my right to be in control. I've worked really hard. It's my right now on a Friday or Saturday night to do this. So the trick is to let them 
work it out themselves. And the way that we do that is we use sensible, logical arguments. So, for example, I might say, I might just reflect back the language and say, so you, you work really hard and you go out on a Friday night and, and you drink 10 pints of lager, two bottles of wine, and you want to lose weight. And you're wondering why you can't lose weight uh, because you're training so hard. And they're like, yeah. And when you reflect it back, actually, when somebody else says that out loud without saying, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to stop drinking a ton of alcohol on a Friday and Saturday night because it interferes with your metabolism and it also makes you eat rubbish because <laughs> your um, sensible head is no longer there. And we all know this in our heart of hearts. We all know this. I know this. You know, I'm just as fallible as you. I, I like sometimes to have a glass of wine. I don't drink very often now um, because I find that, a, it messes with my head the next morning and I don't sleep properly and I don't, I find at this stage in my life I don't actually want to waste any more days. <laughs> Not that I think my days are numbered, but I've got to the stage where I think, do I really want to waste a whole day uh, worrying about hangover? And the answer is no, I've got far, far too many things for me that are important that I want to do. But I do also know that if I have two glasses of wine, I'm more likely to go into the fridge and eat a, like half a packet of cheese or to make myself a uh, a big burger or, or something that I wouldn't do normally when my logical, rational brain is in there. But when my emotional brain kicks in, I'm like, well, I'm just going to eat a family bar of chocolate because I deserve it. And I'm more likely to say that if my level of resistance is low and I know for me that my level of resistance is low when I have more than one glass of wine so think about how that works for you but also I know if somebody says to me you're this is why you can't lose weight because look at what you're doing you need to do that you should do that then I'm going to meet that with a whole ton of resistance and say who are you to tell me what to do who are you to tell me how I should feel so there is a way of overcoming the objections, reflecting the language back that they're using to you so that they hear it out loud and then when they're in logical mode, they go, actually, that doesn't make any sense. And, and, and this client was amazing, came back the week later and went, right, I've stopped, I've stopped drinking, which is brilliant. And now they follow that and they create a new habit. But when we're so entrenched in what we do, and we do all the time, you know, we talk about police officers now, and this used to happen to me when I was much, much younger. People would say, you look far too young to be a police officer. Oddly enough, they never said that in the last <laughs> few years of me being a police officer. But you look around and you go and you do think, hang on a sec, you know, here I am. You look about 12, why are you telling me that? And it's like teachers. We make judgments on the teachers. So it's about overcoming that objection. So if you're a teacher and you look young, you know what the parents are going to be thinking about you. They're going to be thinking, you look too young to teach my child or certainly to have a conversation with me about how my child should be treated because, it, of course, it's my child and I know what's best for them. And uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek, by the way, because that's how we feel a lot of the time as well. It's my child and these are my morals and my values and this is how I believe my child should be brought up. So when somebody then gives you advice about how to bring your child up, you, you get met with that resistance. Whereas if you look at the objection, so if you can see that somebody is struggling, perhaps because they're tired, perhaps they're a first-time parent, perhaps they're caught up in the, the emotion of just being there at, at the time and they, they can't see a way, then we just, you, you overcome the objection by just saying it out loud. Gosh, you, you look tired, so label the emotion. You look tired today, are you okay? And see what comes back. Or I've never had a child before, so there's no way that I would, why would you listen to me? But I, my friend Sally w was talking the other day and she said that she found this worked. 
with her little one when she was having problems. So you say it in a nice way, not the you need to do that, you should do this, you shouldn't mollycoddle them, you should put them down, you shouldn't pick them up when they're crying, all of those things that we're great at giving advice for rather than overcoming the objection at the beginning. So there we go, how to overcome objections. A nice, simple, short podcast for you today because we get wrapped up in our own lives. We get wrapped up in what we're doing. We don't sometimes see the wood through the trees. You never see the path that is always there, but because we are thinking about our own lives, we don't see it. So you, if you can predict what somebody's going to say to you, and this does take time and effort, by the way, it is, um, it is something that you have to think about. But if you work in a specific profession or a specific trade, then most of the time you will have already experienced it. And you can probably, probably say off the top of your head five objections people will automatically come up with. I know certainly I'm having a lot of... Um, building work done at the garage at the moment and and I'm objecting to every single quote that I get in because there's that whole game isn't there of um never accept the first quote that you're given uh challenge everything and see how much lower they can do so I've gone straight into that pattern of yes right well that can't be right because this is the first quote so I'm going to question it and bring it down and sometimes that's worked and sometimes it, it, it hasn't but if I was the if I was the seller, I would be overcoming the, those objections straight away rather than giving me a quote. Let me actually, let me just stay on an example for that. So, for example, I'm using an electrician and I need the work done quite quickly. We're looking to open up in six weeks. And so because I'm looking for an electrician quite quickly, I'm having to rely on trust a lot and believe what people tell me. Uh, and being an ex-police officer, you can imagine how difficult that is for me. Although a lot, uh, although one of my friends <laughs> always used to say, "You are the most trusting police officer I've ever met in, met in my life." And so, when I'm gi- being given a quote, I'm automatically questioning it. Automatically questioning it. So, if I was in the trade of being an electrician or a plumber, I would say something along the lines of, "Right, you might be reading this quote and thinking that's really expensive." And I'm going to tell you exactly why now that the work that I'm doing and the equipment that I'm quoting for, and that's why it's coming up at the price that it's coming. Rather than just giving me a, right, well, this is going to take me a week's work and here's the quote. If you break it down like that and talk to the person and actually find out what is important to them. So, for example, it's important for me that people walk into the cafe, the gym area, the garage and feel comfortable and safe and have a bright environment. That's important to me. It's important about creating that community feeling. So if the electrician had thought to ask me a few questions, then said, and this is what we can create for you, Nick, and this is why it will be expensive. But this is a different option. This is an option that will save you some money. Then I would have gone for the quote straight away. Whereas at the moment we're having ping pong emails back and forward, back and forward. But that might just be me. trying to get the best deal of course i do i do also recognize that and remember that when you're emotional this doesn't work as well so we talk a lot about emotional brain and logical brain but when you're emotional actually overcoming people's objections because you go defensive will not work so think about how you come across to people and think about how you actually want to come across to people how do you want to be perceived because that's really important. And then work toward b- 
building your elevator pitch or your conversation, your introduction, your first impression over overcoming those objections and, and, and selling yourself to why somebody should use you rather than somebody else or what you can give to them that will benefit them. Right, I'm going to wrap that up there. I hope you found that useful. I'm going back to the garage to learn more about people and business and processes and it's a very exciting time in my life still pushing for six weeks opening and yeah it's just been a whole whole world of excitement while still always remembering that at the center and the heart of this are people being in a space with people sharing that human contact being present in your conversations and recognizing that we are all very different in our values and beliefs and how to build relationships with people and that that is the most important thing is building those for me that is the most important thing is building relationships building trust and providing a really great service for people and you can do that by thinking about what people want and how you can give it to them have a great day and i'll speak to you soon Hey everybody, Nikki again. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast and thank you for joining me. You can find me on social media at Nikki Comms Coach at Twitter and The Communication Coach on Facebook and thecommunicationcoach.co.uk. Please like, share and review and I look forward to speaking to you soon.